0: Okay guys, if you have your Bibles, will you turn to Matthew chapter 16 today? Matthew chapter 16. We'll read the text here in a moment. But before we read the text, we're gonna be we're gonna be looking at Matthew, primarily Matthew 16, 18 today. Uh, I'm going to read verses 13 through 18 here in just a moment. But the question we see, I just want to address that question in verse 13, Matthew 16, verse 13, that, that Christ asked his disciples. And talk about that for just a few moments. Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Obviously, Jesus was not searching for information. He knew. Um, he's not <clears throat> when he asked when he asked who do the people say that the son of man is. He's not asking who the Jewish leaders say that he is. That many of them have already stated that they they uh, attributed his works to the devil. Um, he's wanting to know from his disciples who do the The common people in general say that the Son of Man is. They were in uh, Caesarea Philippi, which was a a remote northern village just outside of Galilee. It was a time where um, before the, the cross was coming upon the horizon, it was looming. It was a time for Him and His disciples to be alone together, to kind of away from the crowds. And so He asked this question, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? So I would ask you guys, what do you say to that question? What do we say to that question? It's one of the most important questions that we can answer. Who do we say that the Son of Man is? But I think before we talk about the people's response or think about our response, what did Jesus say? Who did He say that He was? I think that's real important. So before we... Before we really go further in this text, turn over to John chapter 10. We're going to look at two or three portions of Scripture just to get an idea, get a feel of what Jesus said about Himself. Because I think that's very important before we uh, consider what anybody else says about Him. What did He say about Himself? John chapter 10, verses 30-33. through In a discussion with the Jews... Some of the Jewish leaders, in verse 30, in John chapter 10, Jesus says this, I and the Father are one. Verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone Him. And so Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you stoning Me? The Jews answered Him, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. So we can see this very phrase, I and the Father are one, which we see Christ making throughout His ministry, that is a claim to deity. And the Jews knew it full well, and that's why they picked up stones to stone Him, because He was saying, I am God. I am one with the Father. Matthew 9.6, you don't have to turn there. Again, he's in conversation with the scribes. And in Matthew 9.6, he says this, So that you, speaking to the scribes, may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now, who is it alone that has the power and authority to forgive sins? God. Right? So again, he's, he's making his claim the deity. That the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he goes... On in that, in that account, and it, it, he said to the paralytic whom he had healed or who they were discussing, Get up, pick up your bed, and go home. So he claimed deity, and then he proved it by telling a lame man to pick up his mat and go home. And then, in a similar way, John chapter 8, another text where he's dealing with the Jewish leaders. John chapter 8, verses 54 through 59. If you guys, you guys can turn there if you want. Again, this is a lengthy discussion. But in, in verse 54, He says, Jesus answered, If I glorify Myself, My glory is nothing. It is My Father who glorifies Me, of whom you say, He is our God. Speaking to the Jews. And you have not come to know Him, but I know Him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am, therefore, They picked up stones to throw at him once again, and so we can see in this text. If you go back to Exodus chapter three, verse fourteen, we know that that's where uh, God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, and Moses and he, he instructed Moses to go to Pharaoh to instruct Pharaoh to let his people go. He said, "Who should I tell them that sent me?" And that's where God. Declared to Moses, tell him that tell him that I am sent you, and we know that that's just uh, the Lord declaring who He is. That's His name, Yahweh, the self-existent God, and that's what we see in these texts. Jesus declaring that He is Yahweh, the self-existent God. So there's no doubt who Jesus Christ claimed to be. There's no doubt. There's no. uh, It's very clear in Scripture. So it's either we believe him or we don't. Either, he, either he's telling us the truth or he's not. And so what did the people say in that day? Let's let's go back to our text in Matthew. If I could, if I could ask you to stand, guys, we'll read the, the passage today, Matthew 16. And we'll read verses 13 through 18. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples. Who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. You guys can be seated. Let me pray for us before we go further. Father, we come to you, Lord, always in need of your uh, Holy Spirit, Lord, to give us understanding. Lord, may we understand not only what your Word is saying, but the proper application of it to our lives, Father. So, Lord, please uh, be gracious to us today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So what did the people say in that day? So we looked, at who, we looked at a few passages of who Christ declared that He was, right? Unapologetically, very clearly, not hard to understand, Jesus in His ministry declared that I am God. So what did the people in that day say? We see it in verse 14. And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but, others, but still others Jeremiah, we're one of the prophets. In other words, again, he's talking to the people. He, he's wanting to get a general idea of what the people are saying. So this response here, we see are positive responses about Christ. Are they not? They're not. It's not mocking. They're not mocking him. They're positive response. But at best, the people in general are saying he is a forerunner of the Messiah. That's what the people are saying. He's a prophet. He's one of the prophets. Because what were they expecting the Messiah to be military conqueror right he was not fitting their description of what they had in their minds they were expecting a military ruler to, to deliver them from their enemies from Roman bondage and so you can look down through history guys and many have had similar statements about Christ we can, we can think about we can think about um, Pilate, when you think about Pilate's remark about who Christ was, you, as we look at these responses, and there, there could, you could do some studying on history of what people said about Christ, and you're going to see many very similar to this. Positive in a sense on the surface about him being a good man, but no claim that he was God to his deity. For example, Pilate, he said, I find no guilt in this man. I mean, that's a fairly positive response. He's a good man. I don't, find he, I don't know why you're wanting him crucified. I don't see... He's not guilty of what you're accusing him of. Napoleon said, I know men, and Jesus was no mere man. Again, a fairly positive response to Christ. It would be positive in their eyes. Strauss, the German rationalist, said of, of Jesus, He's the highest model of religion. And you hear a lot of this in the world if you ask about who Christ is. Just what do you think about Jesus? And you're going to hear things like this. The Muslims say He's a prophet. The Mormons say He's the... Actually, He is a God. He's not the God, but He's also the spirit brother of Lucifer. So you get into some weird things. Jehovah's Witnesses say that He's Michael the Archangel. People on the street. Again, you go ask people on the street. He's a great man, right? Jesus is a great man. He's a, yeah, He's a healer. He's, he's the best example. He's a great teacher. Not necessarily blasphemous with their intentions. Or they're giving compliments to Christ. But what are they leaving out? That He is Lord. He is Yahweh. He is the Creator God. He is the only way to heaven. Now when we think about when we think about Christ's own claims that we read, His claims of deity, right? Was not ambiguous? I am Lord. When we think about those claims that He made about Himself, I think we're left with, as C.S. Lewis said, we're left with three Choices about Jesus Christ. Because normal people don't go around saying, I am God. Right? If you met a person who really thought He was God, you wouldn't think, that's a good man. You'd think, that man's crazy. Or he's a liar. And those are the choices we have. He is either a liar, right? He is a liar on the scale When I I think about if Christ was lying about this, He would be like the man of sin that the Bible talks about. There's coming a man of sin who who is going to demand worship as God. He is a liar. So Christ is either a liar or He is a lunatic. He's somebody who needs to be locked up. I've met some of those people. Most of them are... uh, Many times it's drug induced, but but they in their in their own in their own little world they 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 claim to be God or some kind of a God. I meet those people down at the bus station regularly. We had a man that used to go down there with us, and uh, Steve Harris, and he he uh, he had done prison ministry, and so he talked to a guy at the bus station, and he said and he came back over and was speaking with me, and he said, yeah, I used to ministered to that guy in the prisons 20 years ago. He thought He was God then and He still does. So Christ is either a liar or lunatic or He is who He said He is and that is Yahweh, Lord, the Creator, the self-existent God who reigns supreme. And it's very important how how we come to Him. Who do you say that He is today? Very important. What did Paul tell us in Romans chapter 10? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So what do you say? Before we move on, what do you say here today? Maybe you say, I don't believe it. I don't believe that Jesus is who He says He is. And just know this, you're calling Him a liar and your eternity hinges upon it. We have to remember what Jesus said in that same conversation with the the Jewish leaders in John chapter 8. At one point in that conversation, He told them, For unless you believe that I am He, and that word He is not in the original, unless you believe that I am Yahweh, you will die in your sins. The Jesus of the Bible is the only Jesus that saves. So when we come to Christ, we come to Him as Lord. He is Lord. We believe that. And then we submit to Him as such. Or maybe you say, Well, I believe, I really do believe that Jesus is who He says He is, but I don't necessarily want to follow Him. I don't necessarily have anything against Him, I'm just neutral. We have to remember the demands of Christ that He told us in Luke chapter 11. There is no neutrality with Jesus Christ. He said, He who is not with me is against me. Either we have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ and we are following Him or we are against Him. And we have positioned ourselves against God Almighty. So that's the demands of Christ. There's not neutrality. We come to Him on God's terms. We come to Him in the reality of who He is. That's the Christ that saves. But He asked them in verse 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? That word you is plural. He's talking to all the disciples. And the King James it would say yea. Who do you say that I am? He's speaking to the group. And so I want to speak to you guys as God's people for just a moment before we move on. What about you? Okay? And I ask, and I ask Christians that. Knowing that, that we know that Christ is Lord, we have come to Him, we have been saved from our sins, but in a personal, experiential way right now in your Christian life. What do you say about Christ? And what I mean by that, guys... Is I think of the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 where Jesus says this I have this against you, that you have left your first love. So I ask, not not intellectually, that you know, I know that you know who Christ is, and that you have come to Him, if you, if you have come to Him and He has saved you. But even us as believers, guys, let me ask the question like this Is Christ precious to you? right now in your Christian life? Is He precious to you? Is He the beloved to your soul in the same way as when He saved you? The the church in Ephesus, guys, this was a very doctrinally sound church. The Apostle Paul helped plant this church. They had all their doctrine in order, but, but even believers like that, we can... Our hearts can grow cold is what, I'm, is what I'm trying to ask you. Is your heart burning in love for Christ? Is He your precious Christ, the beloved of your soul? It made me think about the reason I purchased the Puritan paperbacks for our church. Because those, the, the Puritans, they yes, they had their doctrine in order, but the, their writings really emphasize experiential living. So that's why they're good to read, okay? But, but where are you guys at right there in your heart today? Is your heart cold? Or is Christ really the affection of your heart? And so the theme of today's message, guys, the theme, the main point... I'm really trying to get better at that to give you a main point because you're not going to remember everything in a sermon. But if you can remember the main point, you can walk away going, that's what that sermon was about. And so the main point, the theme today is this. Jesus will build His church through the truth and the power of His Word and the kingdom of death and darkness won't stop Him. Okay? He will build His church and He's going to do it through the, the truth and the power of His Word and the kingdom of death and darkness won't stop Him. And so we're going to have three points today, three headings, three verses. Verse 16, we're, first of all, we're going to see Peter's confession. Peter's confession in verse 16. So the question, who do you say that I am in verse 15? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. This is Peter's confession. Peter is speaking for the group, which he did many times. He's speaking for the group. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ. In other words, that word means you are the long-awaited anointed one. You are the Messiah. Christ is a title. That He is the Messiah. He is the one that the Old Testament promised that we read about in the Old Testament. He is the promised prophet, the promised high priest, the promised king. And He says you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Son, guys, anytime we see in the text of Scripture that Jesus is the Son of God, this is reflecting the idea of oneness in essence. Like the passage we read earlier, I and the Father are one. The idea being that a son is Is one of or has the same nature as the Father. So the very word the Son of God is deity language. He comes from the same nature of the Father. We could look at it like this the triune God, he is God the Son. Jesus is one in nature with the Father. Again, it's a claim to deity. And Peter has recognized this. You are the Son of God, you are God in the flesh. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Promised One, the Son of God. John the Baptist used this language in John 1.
1: 34, I
0: myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. This is the Promised Messiah. And you'll notice the phrase, the living God. You are are the Christ, the Son of not just God, but of the living God as compared to the The dead idols of the false gods. You'll see that language many times in the Old Testament. That the God of Israel is known as the living God. Simon Peter, again, he was the spokesman for the rest of the group. Early church father, Chrysostom, said he was the director of the apostolic choir. Usually it was Peter speaking for the group. And so this phrase here, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the confession of the Christian faith right here. In its simplest form. Without this confession, guys, the Christian faith doesn't exist. This is it right here. Jesus Christ, or Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is what we stand upon. That is the confession of the Christian faith. Of the faith and upon this truth, of Peter's confession stands the church of Jesus Christ. So all the confessions that have, been, that have been written down through the ages, they all stand on this truth right here. You can look at the Apostles' Creed early on, and, and some of the confessions that are written, they get some of them get a little more in depth, but this is the centerpiece. This is the confession, Peter's confession, right here, of the Christian faith. And so first, we saw Peter's confession. Secondly, we see the Father's revelation in verse 17. The Father's revelation. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. My Father who is in heaven. He said, Blessed are you, Peter. Or blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Simon Barjona. That name. That 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 name was a reminder that he was a human. He was a human son of a human father. And so he says, "You're blessed. Why are you blessed? Why is Peter blessed here? Because it, he tells us because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father. And this would, this would be true for all Christians. This is true for all of us." That we are blessed is the same language as the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are merciful. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs and only theirs. Blessed, the favor of God rests upon us. It's a language of being happy, joyful. But He says, blessed are you in verse 17 because Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but My Father who is in heaven. That word reveal means this. To lay open what what has been veiled. Okay, At one time it was veiled. To make manifest or to make known what what was before unknown. That's what that word revealed means. And it says it was revealed to you by My Father. In other words, Peter, and and you could apply this to your life, it wasn't because of your intelligence. It's not because you and I are smarter than, our, than the person next to us. It's not because of your human reason. It's not because of your human wisdom. It's not because of some kind of cleverness. This is supernatural. That's what Jesus is saying. This is supernatural. To understand how supernatural it is, listen to 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 3 and 4. It says, even if our Gospel is veiled, even if our Gospel is veiled, right? Veiled. That means somebody, they don't understand it. There's a a blindness, a veiling going on. Even if our Gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case, the God of this world, little g, has blinded, the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the Gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. You see, Peter is saying that he sees and understands the light of the Gospel and the glory of Christ that He is the Son of the living God. And that's because it's been revealed to Him supernaturally by the Father. Beloved, hidden in this statement that Jesus makes... In verse 17, hidden in this statement is the doctrine of the of the effectual call and regeneration. Right there in that verse. Listen to our Baptist Catechism. Uh, question number 34. <clears throat> what is effectual calling? Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convicting us of our sin and misery enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills, He doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the Gospels. That's what Jesus is saying. You didn't do this, Peter. God did this. God revealed this to you. Whether we say it's the Father, the Spirit, it's the triune God who opens men's minds and hearts and gives us understanding of who Christ is and our need for Him and conviction of sin and on and on. John 6, 65 Jesus said, No one can come to Me unless it has been granted Him from the Father. Same kind of language, right? This is supernatural. This is God doing this. It has to be granted from the Father in order to come to Christ. Galatians 1, 15 and 16 Paul says, But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me, that's the effectual call, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. There it is. Same word. When God called me through his grace, he was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. There's another sermon. Right? When God does reveal Christ to us and saves us, saves us for what? To go and preach that same message. And again, that word revealed, to lay open what has been veiled. What has been veiled by the God of this world. He has. We have to remember that, guys. In your evangelism, remember that it helps you be patient with somebody, right? Why can't they just see? You just want to shake them. Why can't you see? Because they're blind. And we must preach the truth and pray. And pray that God opens the eyes. And pray that God reveals Christ to them. Matthew Henry says, the Christian religion is a revealed religion. It has its rise in heaven. It is a religion from above. Given by inspiration of God. Not the learning of philosophers nor the politics of statesmen. You can't argue somebody into the kingdom of God. We must declare the truth and pray to our Father that the Holy Spirit will do that work. Okay? That is our responsibility. That's as much as we can do. Pray, fast, preach. Those things. And so what should our responsibility be? Beloved to this truth, right? Right? To this truth that it's God the Father who reveals, right? That He has revealed it to us and He's the one who, who will reveal it to others. I think our response should be simply that it should keep us humble, that we should not boast, right? Remember what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 4? What do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? We can't boast about our salvation. We can't boast that we understand these things. We must allow it to humble us. Paul said, far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? We boast about God's grace. We boast about the cross. But we understand that these things have been revealed to us just like they were Peter. So Peter's confession, the Father's revelation, and lastly in verse 18, we see Jesus' proclamation. Jesus' proclamation in verse 18, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So the title of the message is that Jesus will build His church. And I know you guys know that, but it's good to be reminded of that. Okay? Okay? That we're not building it. Jesus is building His church. He will build it. He is building it. And He will complete it. But you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build My church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So we're not going to spend much time on that, but I don't believe this text is saying, upon you, Peter, we're going to build this church. That you're the first pope. I don't believe that's teaching that at all. Remember Jesus in 1 Peter, He said, I'm a fellow elder, right? He's a fellow elder. Peter was a married man. We don't even need to discuss that. I want to talk about what it is saying, what I believe it is saying. The word Peter here, uh, I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church. The word Peter is from the word Petros. Petros. It's a Greek word for a small stone, okay? A small stone. And the word rock is from Petra, It's a different form of the same basic word referring to a rocky mountain or peak. Okay? So Peter's small stone, the rock is more of a rocky mountain or peak. Or you can think of it as more of a foundation. In other words, Peter, a smaller stone compared to the great mountainous rock of his confession that he just made. And that is what most commentators would agree that he is saying upon this rock upon the confession that Peter just had made is what Christ will build his church upon that Christ is the living god or son of the living god and i think along with that not really a different interpretation but maybe but maybe further explained i think is that jesus was addressing peter as representative of the twelve apostles, right? The church was built upon the twelve apostles' doctrine and teaching, in other words. Centered upon that confession that Peter made. It was the apostles who were his uniquely appointed and inspired teachers of the gospel that Jesus used in the early church. It was their teaching, remember, it was their teaching their doctrine that the early church gave such high regard right and centered their teaching upon apostles teaching apostles doctrine they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles doctrine in acts 2 the foundation of the church in other words is the revelation of god given through his apostles And Jesus is the cornerstone of that foundation. Isaiah Isaiah 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. I believe Peter referenced that text when we went through Peter. Speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ as being the cornerstone. 1 Corinthians 3.11 For no man can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And really the idea, guys, is being the truth of Christ. The truth of Peter's confession. Right? It's not just Jesus Christ in a vague way, but it's the truth of who He is. That's why He said, upon this rock, Peter that your confession is what I will build my church upon, expressed further through the apostles' doctrine. The truth of Peter's confession. The truth preached by the apostles. What's some of the truth that we see? Just looking at real quickly, that was preached by the apostles. Think about Paul. What did he say? We preach Christ in Him crucified. He said we preach repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. You see that foundation? That's what the church, that's what Christ uses to build his church. Acts 2:36. Peter preaching to the Jews. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him, Christ, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So you see that foundation? Peter's confession further revealed in the apostles' preaching and teaching. Upon this, Jesus said, I will build my church. So the truth about Christ is what he's clearly saying he will build his church upon. The truth about Christ, Peter's confession, the apostles' teaching. And so what's another title we could give to these truths, guys? The Gospel. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news. Right? What is the Gospel? It is the good news about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. That's the same, it's, the, it's a different way of saying, it is the power of God to build Christ's church through the Gospel. These foundational truths of who Christ is and what He has done. That's how God saves. That's how Christ builds His church. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and to the Greek. And so who is the church? It's those who believe, right? Those whom God has chosen, whom He calls to Himself, and who believe through the Gospel. Through the confession that Peter made through the apostles' doctrine. How do they believe? Through the Gospel. How are they going to hear? Through somebody communicating the truth of the Gospel. Through somebody communicating the same confession that Peter made on that day. Christ is the Son of the living God. And apart from Him, there is no entrance into heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life and you must come to the father through him that's how christ will build his church it's the same message that the apostles preach beloved nothing different the phrase you've heard the phrase preach the gospel right if necessary use words that is so false <laughs> This is the very means that Christ builds His church upon words proclaimed. Upon the confession that He is the Christ, the Son, God the Son, of the living God. And apart from Him, there is no salvation. So under this declaration, this this last point that we're under, uh, Jesus' declaration. There's 2 subpoints. The first one, very clear in the text, I will build my church. And the second one will be that the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So first, I will build my church. So beloved, regardless of how dark the world gets, right? This is where we look at it in our day, in our world. Regardless of how dark, how crazy the world may appear, or maybe how much apostasy we see in the, in the church, the visible church, regardless of any of this, this will happen. Jesus will build His church. Amen? Amen. It will happen. You know, we belong to a cause, guys. If you want to call it a cause, you know everybody wants to belong to a good cause. We belong to a cause that cannot and will not fail. Isn't that awesome? We belong to a cause that cannot and will not fail. Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, said, I will build my church. He didn't say, I might. He didn't say, yeah, it might get a little tricky. I might have to go to plan B. He said, I will build my church the same language in Matthew 121 when the angel told joseph his wife was pregnant with child and the angel told joseph she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he not may not might will save his people from their sins he will he will save his people from their sins and he will build his church. It's the same language. It's going to happen. So, I don't want to try and compete with Jesus, right? We don't want to try and compete with Jesus. I don't want to try and build this church, this local church, or, or, or the church universal. We don't want to be in competition with Christ, in other words. We want to do things the way He's prescribed them in His Word. We want to faithfully preach the truth. I like how John MacArthur says it here. He said, it is not faithful believers who builds Christ's church, but Christ who builds His church through faithful believers. Now He does use us. He does it through us. But if we're trying to do things that are unbiblical, when you think of the word pragmatism in our day, and people trying to uh, do things, cutting corners, they don't want to be biblical, they want to take the, maybe the sharp edges off the Gospel because we don't want to offend people. Maybe you might get more responses on the surface, but you're not helping build Christ's church. So we want to do things faithfully. Preach the same message that the apostles preached and allow Christ... To build his church through faithful believers. He goes, MacArthur goes on and says, wherever his people are committed to the to his kingdom and his righteousness, the Lord builds his church. So that's, we just want to be committed to being faithful to God's word, to his kingdom, to his righteousness in our personal lives, in our families, and in our local church. I think it's important to note that. Christ not only builds numerically through saving His people, right? But also, He builds His church to maturity, right? Sanctification. Jesus is the one who does that. Philippians six. He who began a good work in you, right? When He called you out of darkness. When He called you to Himself. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So it's Christ who's building his church numerically and also to maturity. If you guys remember the language in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we looked at several months ago, when he talked about building his church, he's doing doing this in all of us as God's people. His, His living stones, you guys remember that? We're living stones as it and the church is his building. And so we're being built up into a, as a spiritual house, right? One living stone at a time. Christ is building His church. Built up into maturity. And, and that's where He uses the local church for that, right? He uses the local church, pastors and teachers, to help equip the saints. We help one another... We gather and we grow in maturity with one another. That's but, but Christ is the one that does it. And then and then secondly, the second subpoint under under that under Christ's proclamation is that the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The gates of Hades will not overpower it. Gates represent represents one from escaping, right? Gates. the word Hades, there was was a few different uh, views on this, but I I think I agree with this one, that it's the Hebrew word Sheol, and it's the abode of the dead here. It's not talking about eternal hell, but just the abode of the dead. And so what is Jesus declaring here? I think it's very simple. He's declaring that death, right? Death, Hades, the kingdom of darkness... It has no power to hold Christ's blood bought church captive. Those who are held in captivity, those who are held prisoners of their sin, prisoners in darkness, those whom Christ died for, the kingdom of Hades cannot, or the gates of Hades cannot overpower that. Our culture. Represented by the kingdom of darkness would love nothing more than to overpower or to have mastery over or to keep imprisoned right those who are in darkness. But what Jesus is saying is the kingdom of darkness or the or the or Hades here, the gates of Hades will not be able to overpower. It will not be able to prevent God from saving those whom He died for. When Christ comes and He calls a person out of darkness, the gates of Hades will not overpower that call. And so, what are we to do with all this, guys? What are we to do with this truth? What are we to do with the fact that Christ is the One who will build His church? That the gates of Hades will not be able to overpower, will not be able to overcome, will not not be able to keep in prison those for whom Christ died. What are we to do? Preach the Word. I think that's the greatest thing we can take away from this. As far as application, it's very simple. Preach the Word. And everything that goes with that. Prayer. So what would that what would that mean for mothers with children? Preach the word, teach your children, preach that gospel, preach it to them, to your families, to your friends, and Christ will save his people. It's a promise. Turn to Isaiah 61, verse 1. We're going to close here. This, this verse is uh, repeated again in the New Testament. Obviously, it's speaking about Christ. Isaiah 61, 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives. And so, beloved, taking this truth directly related to that, what we just read in Matthew 16, that the, that the gates of Hades will not overpower the church of Jesus Christ, the the truth of Peter's confession, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. God uses us for this very truth that we see in Isaiah. When we proclaim the liberating Gospel of Jesus Christ, we are proclaiming liberty to the captives. And the gates of Hades can do nothing about it. We proclaim the truth, right? Right? The truth is what sets men free. That is our commission. We can do many other things as believers. Good things. But a lot of things that some people think they're called to do, the world can do. We are called as the church of Jesus Christ to proclaim that message and to see Christ set the captives free. We were captives at one time, were we not? I was a captive held in bondage to sin. Never thought I'd ever be free. Didn't want to be free. But that's what Isaiah is talking about here. To proclaim liberty to the captives. The liberty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As men and women set in bondage, set in darkness, a great light has dawned. And it's Christ and it's that confession that Peter made that He will build His church upon. So we play a part in this. We are the church. We are the stones, the living stones. And we are being built up into a house. So I would encourage you, trust in the power of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It will accomplish what God set it out to accomplish. And we'll close with a short poem, very short poem, by an Anglican priest named Sabine Baring Good. I don't know much about the priest, but this poem was good. So we'll close with this. Crowns and thrones may perish. Kingdoms rise and wane. But the church of Jesus, constant, will remain. Gates of hell can never against the church prevail. We have Christ's own promise and that cannot fail. Let's pray. Father, what more, what greater thing can we have to rest upon, Lord, than your promise? Promise that you will build your church. And so, Father, I pray that we as believers, we as a church, as a local church, Lord, would just seek to be faithful to the apostles' doctrine and allow you to build your church, allow you to build this church. And Father, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you for his... uh, The truth that He has conquered death. The truth that He died, but He is alive evermore. And He has the keys of death and Hades, Lord. Father, we thank You for saving us, Lord. And we just pray for those whom we know, who do not know You, Lord, that You will will reveal Your Son to them as well, Lord, and draw them to Yourself. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.